why I want to talk a little bit about sort of uh, lofty ideals within the Eastern arts or within internal practice. And what I mean by lofty ideals or lofty ideas are kind of ideas of like, you know, um, you'll often read about or see where people say, I am God or I am the sacred feminine, I am the sacred masculine, I am the goddess, I am the god, I suppose, or, or whatever, or, you know, I am all there is, or, or these kind of ideas. I'm sure that you've seen these kind of phrases or these kind of ideas or been around groups where these kind of ideas are, are spoken about. Um, and I think that um, there's an interesting psychology that takes place around this. I mean, I'm in a, a, a town here, as some of you know, in uh, Bali, where there's a lot of that kind of terminology. So you'll literally walk into a group, maybe you've never done anything before, and you're walking into your first yoga or, or meditation group or whatever and the teacher gives you the idea straight away of oh you're a god you are divine you are a divine creation or, or something like this you are an expression of divinity or i've seen people here that have uh, posters you know advertising what they do it's still a bit old-fashioned here like uh it's funny isn't it i don't i'm not used to people advertising from posters anymore to me it's all online but but people have billboards with posters of what's going on which is kind of nice you can see what's in the town um, but people will advertise themselves as a god or a goddess. A goddess is more common than god, but you'll see people will say, I am a goddess, or I am an avatar, meaning I am a representation of god on earth, or, or something like this, and they'll kind of have that as their title, as opposed to just saying, I don't know, teacher, or guru, or whatever that they want to use, you know, but that's their kind of thing. So, I think there's an interesting psychology around that, and I just want to kind of explore that a little bit because these kind of ideas I've seen change because if I'd have spoken about these kind of ideas or whether, or not me, or people in the community, yoga people or Qigong people or meditators had used these kind of terms 20 years ago, people would have balked at it. I think they would have gone, oh, I don't like that or, or that's very um, egotistical or, or something, isn't it? You know, and, and certainly when I was coming up through these arts, you didn't talk like that, but there's been a change. There's been a transition towards this kind of empowerment of recognizing that you are a, a god or a goddess or you are an avatar or, or whatever to speak about yourself in this way. Now, or you are divine or you are perfect or something like this, you know. Now, there's a twofold aspect to it because in my opinion, and this is all only my opinions, it's not based on any ex sort of expertise in such areas, it's just my opinions from what I've seen. Is there's, a, there's a kind of twofold process going on because I can see the sentiment. I understand the sentiment. I get the sentiment. I get it. Like, as the implication being that ultimately anything that's manifest is, a, a, is, is just that a manifestation of the divine. Um, so you are an integral part of the unified consciousness or spirit that some people call God. You're an expression of that state. Divinity literally courses through your veins. I understand that kind of sentiment i understand the idea and i know that um it's aligned very much with what many of the gurus the true gurus actually said even within classical scripture so certainly within some of the meditative texts they talked about it as if you were um divine born divine you know have this potential within you or, or you do have this sort of um sacredness within you as if it's a kind of fact you know and i get it but then the other side of it, and that's why I say there's kind of two sides to it, is that it's um, it's a little narcissistic. 
it's a little narcissistic and and I think or it has the potential to be so that's not fair I shouldn't say that I correct myself it's not narcissistic in and of itself but it has the potential to in some people in many people to produce that kind of character trait so I, I just want to kind of look at why or why that idea so the first thing to if we just whatever the term if we change it to realizing that I am God or something like that or, or which is a realization that some would come to um, or they talk about very openly and you can exchange that word God with anything I am the sacred divine I am the goddess I am sacred feminine I'm sacred masculine I am perfection itself I am the universe or I am an avatar of this God or, or whatever you know it doesn't matter you can exchange the words but if I say I am God I mean the problem is you have to realize that many of the ancient masters who said this who wrote this which at the time probably would have been a bit shocking actually to some of the other people at the time would have been quite rebellious i would imagine um, amongst some of the more orthodox or strict sort of eastern beliefs very much uh based upon even in the east you know it's not not just abrahamic religions you know but like people think but even in the east that kind of idea of of not placing yourself underneath the divine would have been a quite rebellious or <laughs> sort of a bit of a maverick. This man's a loose cannon. He thinks he's God or something. But still some of the, the sages said this. But you have to remember that they came to that conclusion through penetrating insight and clarity. And I would imagine in the majority of cases, extensive practice, um, arduous practice. Uh, that took place over a very, very long time. So because they had penetrated through the veils of individuation and mind and separation, all of these things and all of the acquired layers, and they sinned through the whatever, it doesn't matter, whatever their linguist, whatever their tradition uses as their language. You know, once they'd perceived through these veils, through to the core of who they were, it wasn't that they intellectually knew they were a manifestation of God or they were God or they were divine. It was a realization that, that would have hit them in such a way that it spun them 180 degrees and gave them a completely different perspective of life. So it's a realization that would have accompanied the result, the fruition of their practice and kind of the stage of, of reaching a sagehood or, or whatever title you want to put upon it. So I don't really know how to put this in words because it's one of those things that's above language. So any language you use is going to fall short, but essentially it would have been like a, a paradigm shifting divine experience that that it was earth shattering to the way they perceive themselves and then what happens is out comes this understanding that they are divine that they are an expression of the divinity so those people as long as we have faith in the ancient scriptures or the ancient writings were coming from a, a place of deep um, personal um, experience you know so because they were coming from this kind of place of deep personal experience they could talk with a degree of sort of accuracy and profoundness and along with this experience I would imagine came a, a, a very well I don't imagine I know because I've met people who have had this experience there's very few of them but I have met a couple actually um, and what they tend to have is a, a wealth of wisdom and knowledge that seems to go above and beyond what logically they should know um, because there there's a transformation to the way that, that knowledge is sort of process and gleaned within their minds so they do become the kind of stereotypical sage or something you know what you would imagine from the old sort of <laughs> the old kung fu films when the kung fu master finally meets the true sage the enlightened sage you know 
I let the lizard finish. He's noisy. That's the fuck you lizard. <laughs> fuck you, fuck you. That's enough. So, now he's finished. Uh, the difference is, see, that I think the problem is that a lot of people have this idea that they are sacred or they are divine because they're told it. And being told it and intellectually knowing it is, is not the same thing. So I remember going to, what was it? Was it a yoga class? I think so. I think it was a pranayama session. Because yoga is not my, my main thread. Definitely not. But over the years, I've done a fair amount of yoga just because of the places I've been. But I, I would far from call myself an expert at yoga. Definitely not. But I'm familiar with their terminology and familiar with their practices because I, I guess over the years, I've done a fair bit just here and there. Stayed in ashrams and things like that. But so I, I must, I think it was a pranayama class and I, I just walked in and there was a group of us with a teacher and the first thing the teacher did was sort of move into this kind of repartee really of saying, you know, you may think that you're this or that, the other, but actually you are God itself, you are the divinity itself. And I remember hearing it and, um, you know, I'm quite used to this kind of terminology so my mind went, okay, I get the concept, but, you know, that's not the reality that I'm dealing with right now, that's not where I am. Whereas I saw so many other people very quickly adopting that idea, like, oh, I am the sacred divinity itself. Which sounds like it could be positive, you know, because, and I think, I don't want to sound like I can be a negative, because I think for some people it can be. I think maybe that if someone is very uncomfortable or coming from a place where there's a lot of, I don't know, self-loathing or discomfort with yourself, then kind of buying into this idea or intellectually understanding, okay, actually I'm an expression of the divinity, can be enough to kind of bring them out of that kind of negative state and I think maybe for a lot of people that's all they need um, because what they were looking for from these arts ultimately was just some kind of therapy rather than um, kind of culture cultivation or, or kind of personal development to a high degree and I don't think there's anything wrong with that there's nothing wrong with wanting just healing if you want for better of a word it's a bit of a crass term isn't it you know what I mean if wanting healing from these arts and getting it, I think that's okay. If this is a form of therapy and, and that therapy helps you, it's fine. But the problem is that if you are someone who is really after cultivation, you know, I mean, and when I use cultivation, I mean someone who really wants to kind of explore these arts and get to the crux of what the, the ancient masters and the scriptures were talking about and really wants to become a, an expert in these practices, then you have to be careful with such ideas because intellectual understanding of something will eventually mask experiential understanding of something. And that's just something that I've perceived, something I've seen. So as an example, oh, how can I give an example? Ah! Basically, whenever someone, I use it vaguely, whenever someone has given me an intellectual idea, so they've explained something to me, this of a very high level, something very much beyond where I am, this is the, in, this is the nature of enlightenment and this is what, they're about. okay, all right, I get it intellectually. But then what happens is when you're trying to practice, it's like your brain already has the anchor of the intellectual understanding. It knows what that is. It's there. You have it stored somewhere in your library of knowledge. But then the problem is that gets in the way of the experience itself because it's almost like, and it's the closest thing I can come to explaining it. So sorry if I'm doing a poor job, but when you're practicing and you're doing your work and maybe you're meditating and maybe you've, you know, doing all right in your practice and, and you feel that there's some kind of evolution going on in your development and then 
And it's like the brain or the mind or your perception wants to go to an experience, but sometimes because there's already an intellectual anger anchor, it's like it just kind of diverts its course and jumps straight to that intellectual understanding. And I've seen it happen to myself so many times that you like, it, it's almost like you feel you're on the cusp of something. There's something I'm trying to grasp. And then you hear that fact, you hear that voice in your head, boom, yeah, but, but, but this is this, this is this. And as soon as it's put very black and white, oh, that's what it is, boom, then the experience is gone because it's like your your perception chooses between the experience and the intellect and it will always choose the intellect because it's easier. <laughs> so this becomes a problem with when people kind of look at concepts that are much, much beyond where they are. But at the same time, I'm not saying don't read, don't study, but I think that you should, or what I try to do, I can only talk about what I try to do. I shouldn't tell others what to do, that's up to them. But what I try to do is I try to maintain a little clarity. So if there's a concept they've had explained to me, like you are the divine itself, or you're an avatar of heaven or whatever on earth, or I don't know, is I will take that concept and I'll explore it intellectually, but then I'll make sure that I'm very clear to myself. It's like I say to myself, Damo, you, you only know that intellectually. You only know that because someone's told you. You only know that because you've read it. You've only known that because someone has explained it to you, but you've not experienced it. And this is what I tell myself. It's like, no, it's still not an experience. It's just a fact that someone else has told me, but I can't validate it yet. I can't verify it yet through my practice. So what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to identify with that fact as if it is a part of who I am. So I have quite a lot of things like this, I suppose, because I've spent a lot of time with teachers and I've read a lot of books and I've done a lot of studies. So there's a lot of concepts to me that I'm able to kind of compartmentalize into these are things I understand intellectually, but I haven't done it. I haven't experienced it. So I, I stay away from those ideas within my practice um, and I almost use them as confirmation, you know. So I'm not using that intellectual knowledge to guide me. Instead, I'm just doing my practice and then sometimes an experience comes. You're like, oh, yeah, that's what that person was talking about and there's the confirmation. And that to me seems like a better way of using it so that I'm not kind of guided or, or deluded into those states or lost in my kind of intellectual knowledge. Now, I think a lot of Hindus, Taoists and Buddhists, definitely those three, but maybe I just think that because those are the people I tend to encounter the most out of the traditions, but they're definitely the ones who follow Hinduism, Taoism or Buddhism or the New Age. The New Age is really a mix of all three, isn't it? With a bit of Christianity slapped in quite often, but uh, from those traditions, definitely fall foul of that. Definitely fall foul of that. And again, I'm not speaking down to anyone because I've fallen foul of it myself many times. Um, and then you catch yourself and like, oh, God, Damo, that's just intellectual knowledge. That's not real. You know, you haven't experienced it. So you have to catch yourself. Now, for someone who, who just wants to feel better because maybe you're in emotional pain or life is difficult to just understand that idea intellectually, maybe that's enough, you know. Maybe for some people that's good enough. Maybe that, that's what they need to bring them out of that space. But for a long-term cultivator, it can become problematic because it all goes back to a saying that one of, one of my teachers said when I was younger, and actually other teachers have reiterated in different ways, and, and he said, before you become special, just try to be normal. That was the, the teaching. And uh, I didn't get it at first, you know, because I had a weird twisted idea of what normal was. So what I thought, what I heard as a youngster, 
all right, I was a bit stupid because I'm sure some of you listening to this already have a more penetrating insight into that teaching than I did. But I was a kid, you know, that's my excuse. And uh, when I heard normal, what I thought was conformist, you know, so I'm like, oh, right, hang on, I have to be normal. And at the time, I was a slightly sort of gothic, I suppose you'd call him emo these days, grunge. I was sort of half goth, half grunge, which to me I thought was a very countercultural thing. But of course, it's just a, it's just a, an act of conformatism, conformism, conformatism, whatever. It's an act of conforming, just like not being a goth. And it doesn't matter whatever group you're in, you're still conforming. You're you're still no more radical than if you're someone who's not in with those groups. So it was just a stupid concept that I had. But but when I heard that, when I heard normal, I thought that's what it meant to to be like the masses. But of course, that's not what the teacher was talking about. If I were to change the terms, because of course there was a language barrier for, their, for them as well, I would say that you have to be comfortable and at ease with yourself. That's what has to come first. So what I mean by that is a lot of people aren't at ease with themselves. They're not comfortable with themselves, you know. It doesn't matter like comfortable with other people or, or comfortable with your life or something. That's that's later. <laughs> first, you have to be comfortable with yourself, you know. And some people are, some people aren't. And that comfort mustn't be an arrogance, but I, I just mean you must be able to just sit. This is like the first step on cultivation for me. Can I just sit and and just be okay with myself? You know, like I don't, I'm not self-loathing while I'm sat here. This is the ideal. I'm, I'm just quite content. Uh, I'm all right in my own company. Uh, my mind doesn't ruminate on problems. It doesn't instantly go to troubles. It doesn't go to traumas. Um, when I put my mind into my body, I don't feel like I hate my body image or who I am. I'm not worried about my age or what I'm achieving in life or, you know, like none of those pressures are there. I don't suddenly get upset or stressed. I'm just comfortable. I'm just out here comfortable. This is what I would call normal. Or this to me is what the teacher was calling normal. If I'm comfortable with myself, and then I tend to be comfortable with other people. That tends to happen automatically anyway. If you're comfortable with yourself, you tend to express yourself honestly to others. And I think sometimes when you talk to others or you see people interacting or you interact, if there is some kind of discomfort with yourself, very much it will get projected into that, that interaction. That's very clear. So for myself, I know if I'm uncomfortable in life, if there's something going on, something stressing me, because when I interact with other people, I'll overcompensate. So all of a sudden I'll become... It's like I try too hard, you know. I need to be funnier in that group than I normally would, or I need to be more confident in that group than I normally would. Or it's like a persona is put on, a mask is put on when I do that interaction. And often I, I have that social event, and then I come away and and I think about. It, I was like, why was I, sort of, telling jokes in a forced way and and being the kind of life and soul and being the centre of attention? Why was I doing that? And then I come away and I realise through a bit of self-analysis that actually I was overcompensating for some kind of discomfort that I was feeling at that time. Whereas if I'm comfortable in my life, because of course these things go up and down due to life events and, and what have you, you know, but if I'm comfortable and at ease at that time, then I don't do that. And I'm actually more natural within the interaction. So I'm very similar to, um, it doesn't matter who I'm sat with, you know, it doesn't matter who I'm interacting with. Recently I've interacted with um, everyday people and I've also had some interactions with some uh, very powerful people. I was sat with a member of the royal family recently, and I have um, was sat with someone who was involved in showbiz recently and things like this. And, and so interacting with different people, but there should be no difference in how you interact with these people ev either. 
and no change in kind of level of ease interacting with them as you have when you're sat on your own. This is what I call being comfortable, you know, being at ease with, with who you are and how you are. This to me is normal, <laughs> you know, but of course it's rare. It's rare and I think it's safe to say that 95% of the time I feel like that if one has off days, but I didn't always, not for a long time, no, definitely not. Like there was, I had all the same insecurities and self-loathing and competitiveness and anger and rage all coming from the emotion of fear that other people have to various degrees on the inside. And, and I think for a long time I couldn't say that I was comfortable with myself. If I sat with myself, I would be uncomfortable. I would have to do something to entertain myself or my mind would go over perceived problems. And if I kind of thought about myself, there was a kind of almost contempt at how I looked or who I was, you know, so I, those kind of feelings that some people are happy to share and others aren't, but I think they're quite normal. I think a lot of people, there's that word normal, you know what I mean? I think they're quite common, I should say. I think a lot of people feel like that. Now, a lot of people who come into the internal arts definitely feel like that because by their very nature, the kind of people that come into the internal arts tend to be quite introspective. I think that's fair to say. I think the majority of people who come into the arts are already quite introspective. Not everybody, of course, but introspective people tend to be attracted towards internal arts. I think that's fair to say. So if you're very introspective, then by the very nature of it, you've done a lot of self-scrutiny. And for a lot of people, there's a lot of discomfort with what they see, especially if they've had difficulties in their life or people have put them down or they've had an oppressive partner or an oppressive family member or a lack of success at something or, or whatever it doesn't matter you know we all have these things that have gone on or maybe something more more terrible in the past or, or something like this or a lot of fears about the future there's all these kind of ideas and and if you're looking inside and ruminating on these then these break your ability to be at ease with yourself now for some people that lack of ease can be slight but for some people that lack of ease can be big you know like a big gaping wound there's a great a great discomfort um, with who they are um, and I think that for a lot of people when they come into these kind of arts whether they know it consciously or unconsciously what they're trying to do is deal with that kind of existential pain that they're feeling that discomfort with with their own being I think this is for some way why certain ideas like there is no self or um, you know, we are all one or, or there's no individual identity or whatever, are quite attractive because if you're suffering with this kind of idea of pain, when you look at yourself, the idea that there is no individuated self can be quite attractive. So why all this is relevant is because I think that just like in the way that in meditation or your practice, your mind will jump to an intellectual idea rather than an experiential one because it's easier and you already have an understanding and that becomes a barrier. Your degree of self-awareness, your self-loathing, your self-discomfort, whatever you want to call it, will often jump to a kind of sticky plaster, a band-aid, uh, a bandage, depending on what country and <laughs> what you call it, kind of for that kind of wound inside of you. So instead of having to become at ease with myself, if I then adopt the idea of, oh, I am sacredness itself I am divinity itself inside of myself is running through me I am the sacred feminine I'm the sacred masculine I'm the avatar of Godhead or whatever you often if we're not careful not everybody but if we're not careful we will jump to that idea and not 
look at ourselves anymore. So the, the temporary kind of plaster, it's like we've put our finger to plug the leaking dam rather than look at the problem of the self. So it's kind of like we jumped the foundation stage and gone straight to that idea. Now again, probably the issue would be that that idea has been adopted intellectually because somebody has told you, you've not experienced being divinity or it's unlikely. You might have had a, a moderate shift or, or something, but or maybe you have experienced divinity, in which case I take it back, you know, then that's something that you understand on the inside. But for a lot of people, I would say they just they just know it, they just hold it. And it can be a very attractive idea, can't it? Because it can be attractive because now I don't have to worry about all this lack of ease I feel with myself because actually I know that I'm the divinity itself. And I think for other people, if I want to be really damning, it can be an attractive idea because it enables you to look down on others. So there's a lot of this kind of elitism, isn't there, in the arts where, you know, like, I know that I'm divinity and you don't, you stupid man, or, or something. You end up, there's a kind of, you see it, and there's like a cliqueiness that forms. And if I go into some of the, the cafes here, you meet some really nice people when you're just chatting with them. A lot of spacey people, but that's cool. Don't mind that. But you meet some nice people, but you meet a lot of really elitist, cliquey, kind of people who will talk down to anybody that's not within their clique, not within their idea. So if you don't accept that, you know, this person is God incarnate and you're also God incarnate, we're all God incarnate. If you don't buy into the idea, then you're kind of one of the lower people. It reminds me a little bit about of how you're seeing conspiracy theories quite often as well, because conspiracy theories are, are, are spreading, they're becoming mainstream. And I think partially that's because a lot of the theories have been shown to be true, actually. But there's a, and I'm, I don't have an, I don't have an opinion either way on conspiracy. This isn't me damning them or, or, or propping them up. Definitely not. The idea is, is unimportant to me compared to how people become, because and we can definitely see it in this age that when people think they have access to a little bit more truth than others, I know this thing was alien technology or whatever it is, I don't know. Um, then there's a kind of elitism there. They look down on the others. So that's why you see these terms, the sheeple stuff like that comes up well to call people the sheeple is a bit not only is it derogatory it's also putting yourself on a pedestal so it's the same thing in a way of calling yourself divinity it's it's like the reason you're exploring that idea is because you're uncomfortable with something that's going on in life fair enough okay maybe you feel there's more um, scrutinization of your life there's more surveillance there's more control going on and, and maybe that makes you feel uncomfortable or maybe more extreme maybe you believe the world is run by a nefarious group of semi-reptilian creatures or something it doesn't matter like but if you believe that or satanists are running everything and that's causing you a lot of pain then once again this idea of i know the truth becomes almost like a sticky plaster again it's the thing that you now focus on rather than looking at the kind of discomfort on the inside so then again that becomes a kind of elitism when like, other people are just sheep or what do they know? They're the, they're the the unwashed masses or whatever, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And if only they knew the truth, they'd be as good as me. And that kind of elite, we've got to be careful of that, you know. Got to be careful of that. And I think that whether that matters for everybody, I don't know. Because does it matter if you feel a bit better than others? I don't know. That's not an idea I'm going to explore <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. But... For the cultivator, who is normally who I'm talking about or talking to, it can be problematic because what is the nature of cultivation? What is one of the things that you need more than anything else? And that's truth. 
You need the truth. And one of the things you need the truth of is who you are, what you are. Not the truth about what the nefarious government agencies are doing. With regards to a cultivator, the truth of who you are. Who are you? How do you feel? How are you? One of the truths you have to know is are you at ease with yourself? Are you comfortable with yourself? If you're not, and you're masking it with something, with these ideas of divinity or something like that, this intellectual knowledge, then there is a chance that it will prevent you from seeing yourself because your mind is locked onto this idea and it becomes another form of identity. So if somebody has told me I'm an avatar of the divine and that becomes something I lock onto because it's a very alluring idea. Great, I'm divine, perfect war. Then that becomes my identity. Now, you can almost think of it as like a geographical location, you know, like once I'm identifying here with this idea, I can't see what's over here anymore. It's masked from me. So the truth is hidden. The truth is hidden. And if you don't develop truth with regards to an understanding of who you are, then you become blocked on the path or there's the risk of you becoming blocked on the path. So this goes back to that saying the teacher told me, isn't it? Like before you try to be special, try to be, you must become normal. Special, again, language barriers, Chinese person um, who didn't have the most amazing English ever. Um, you know, we could probably change those words normal and special because there's some connotations there. So normal to me, as I say, is being able to just be at ease with yourself and be comfortable. And then special to me would be then to start to break down the veils of self um, to get closer to some kind of truth of the nature of spirit and existence, maybe what we could call an awakening or an enlightenment. Because remember that an awakening is not more intellectual knowledge. If I sit there and I tell you you're divine and I tell you that you are connected to God and you are an expression of God and if I tell you that actually we are just a spirit having a physical experience and you know these things, that doesn't make you awakened. That means you have various intellectual ideas that are going around in your head. And it doesn't then matter if you learn 50 rituals and several movements and a new way to dance to evoke the spirits and a special rhythm with your drum and you become vegan or whatever and you live on avocados. I mean, all those things have been adopted and maybe they're great for you, the dancing, the yoga, the avocados, good for your health, marvellous, but they've all just been adopted as frillings sort of trimmings, frillings isn't a word, isn't it? Trimmings around this kind of idea, this focal point for the full sense of self, rather than what you should be looking for as a cultivator, because I'm not talking to everybody because I think people should do whatever they want to do. But as a cultivator, in my opinion, I think that really, instead of adopting all those things, you should look what are the tools that I require in order to enable my personal experience to match this knowledge that I have. That's what I should be doing or that's what I should be seeking so I think that uh, this is the sequence for me you know like when people come into these arts and if I were to advise them or teach them I suppose I do teach these things but if I were to advise someone I would say that your first step is don't worry about any of those ideas you know because they're not untrue but they won't be true for you till you've experienced them they're just going to be something somebody else told you. It's not going to be your own. So until that stage, you really need to focus on that stage of becoming comfortable with yourself. So that means becoming comfortable, as comfortable as you can. You know, everybody has 
latent problems or, or chronic problems or things you're born with or whatever you can we, maybe perfection is tricky but as best we can we want to become comfortable in our body so we need to learn how to move well and be strong enough and to be supple enough and soft enough and we need to make our health as good as we possibly can we need to correct things like our diet definitely i'm always very suspicious of a internal practitioner that has a really shocking diet like a little bit of bad food all right but when they have a really shocking diet um i'm a little bit surprised really I think there's something going on there. There's something going on there that's not quite right. So look at that. And I think that um, we need to understand how to breathe. And we need to understand a little bit about the kind of one of the Eastern medicine traditions, maybe, or something like whatever it is. You study, I don't know, Qigong, yoga, meditation, doesn't matter. But we need to do that. Then we need to understand the mind. And we need to understand who we are and how to become comfortable with ourselves and, and how to deal with those kind of things that we feel are holding us back. And then I think once that's there, once there is a, a degree of ease and comfort, it's like the problems are dealt with or as best we can. So maybe then we can have a more, we can take a more honest look at what is it that I want to do now? Do I really still need something from these arts? Maybe all I needed was to feel comfortable and that's done. <laughs> or, you know, is this the right place for me to practice? And maybe you'll come to some of those realizations Maybe you'll experience being um, divine. Maybe you'll dissolve the sense of self and become awakened. But I think you're coming from a better platform because oh, I don't think I've explained this very well. I'll do my best. I think that if you're coming from a place of ease, then the ideas, the lofty ideas you hear will be lofty ideas. Interesting, but they're there. If you're coming from a place of pain, often those lofty ideas can all of a sudden become very attractive things for you to grab onto, cling to and identify with because they're attractive. Almost like if I was feeling okay, then I don't want the medicine. But if I'm feeling sick, that medicine seems very, very appealing. It's my lizard friend again. I'll have a tea. There he is. He's heckling. Always. I have one on the roof of my bedroom and uh, inside. <laughs> and he makes that noise about once every hour, just to make sure I don't get a full night's sleep. <laughs> but he's too cute, I can't move him. Oh. So, maybe it's just language. Maybe it's just language that's the issue. Because I think also part of the, the problem is with these ideas of gods, goddesses, sacred divinity, these kind of words I think they have a they have a power to them, right? We have to be careful with words because we, we label words, we we attach words or load them up with concepts, don't we? And they have baggage. So you might say that it's just a sound and it doesn't have any inherent meaning, but it does. Of course it does. So if I say God, I am a God, to the majority of people listening to this, not to all, but to a lot, I would imagine there's a fair few filters going on. Is he saying like God as in he's all powerful? Is he gone mad? Is he talking about the divine and then all these ideas of Christianity you might have or, or whatever, like all of that kind of, that thing is there. And I think most people would associate God with something that is higher than others. Whether you had that kind of concept yourself, because maybe you're speaking from a very deep place and you understand that God is actually something that we are a part of. But I don't necessarily think that's the concept that people listening to that idea will have. So if I say, you are divine, you are the divinity, you are God itself, it's quite dangerous because in some ways that person hearing it might sort of appeal to them in the wrong kind of way, that kind of 
megalomania kind of way, that kind of, um, what would you call that, delusions of grandeur, grandeur kind of way that kicks in. Now, all these things are problematic for the same reason that I said before, is they obscure truth. They obscure truth. They obscure the truth of who you are. So, for the last part, it's hard for me to not sound really mean. I don't mean to sound, it's not deliberate, I don't want to sound mean, because I don't feel mean about this. So you'll have to excuse me, I'm trying to word it as carefully as I can. But I think you'll agree that there's quite a lot of people that are marching around, <laughs> don't know why they're marching, what they're marching for, with a band. I think they're sort of going around on social media and in classes and things like that, talking about being sacred, being divine, being one with God, being being an avatar of, of of divinity and things like this and it's very popular as well with the younger people coming in i'm going to sound like an old fart as well as me aren't i but i think there's a kind of movement towards the sort of social media people in their 20s getting into these arts and very much attaching to these ideas um of being god or being sacred masculinity or, or whatever expressed through them and and i think that uh I think that I'm seeing more and more people that it you can almost see. I mean, you can see if you've trained a while, if you've been a therapist for a while, if you've been in these arts for a while, if you know people, if you know yourself, you can kind of see there's a big wound in them. It's like a sadness, you know. It's like their their energy is on the edge of tears. It's like they want to be upset, but they're masking it with this kind of spiritual bravado that they're kind of carrying around with them, going, I am sacred, I am divine. And you know that one harsh word and that person will fall apart or they're struggling with something inside, struggling with some kind of wound that, that feels like it's stabbing them, you know, and, and they kind of express their kind of, their pain in strange ways. It's, it's quite sad to watch. But I'm not, I'm not damning of those people because it's a phase, it's a stage, and, and maybe that's what they need to be okay but from a place of someone who wants to really get to the bottom of these arts, that is going to be a barrier. It's going to be a barrier. To already have the intellectual idea that you are a pure expression of divinity before you've even dealt with the mundane thing of being comfortable with yourself is going to be a block. It's going to be a problem. You're going to get held up. And I think that um, that's why often you see these kind of overblown, kind of grandiose, sociopathic kind of characters within these arts quite often um, because I think this is where the seed begins and then it grows and grows and grows because somewhere in the back of your mind I am a god yes you're right and you know and it becomes a kind of self justification not for everybody but for some people for the way they do things so it can be problematic yeah <laughs> so to close this like I don't think that the ideas are incorrect. I believe that you are an expression of the divine feminine. I think you are an expression of the divine masculine. I think you, you are one with God. I think there is a perfection, a, a Buddha nature that that is the true nature. I think that's all true. But I think that that is a kind of, if we were to put it linearly, I know people don't like this kind of linear stuff, but if we were to put it a little bit more linear, we can kind of think that comes second. First of all, there's this underlying foundation upon which everything is built, and that's what needs to be dealing with first. It's like before you come to the idea that you are pure God awareness that, that is observing everything, before that, 
you need to be comfortable with being human. You need to be comfortable with being human. You need to know what it is to be at ease with yourself. And that should be your first port of call. Now, for me, that's why arts like Qigong and even Chinese medical teaching, especially Yang Shenfa, health nourishing stuff, yoga, things like that can be useful because you're working with the quality of your health, the quality of your mind to get your body, get yourself to a place of comfort before those kind of lofty ideas are explored. Um, and I think for me, the most healthy way be was certainly in the foundation work, if that was kind of separated a little bit, we didn't worry about the divine too much. Um, we just worried about getting everything functioning, the mind and the body to, to as efficient level as we possibly can, learning to be kind with ourselves, learning to be kind to others, learning to find some kind of purpose and direction. And then when those kind of things are in place, then on to the next stage. I mean, there's also a thing that it's very difficult to dissolve the self or the attachment to self if the self isn't strong enough to be dissolved. It's almost like it kicks and struggles and fights. And when you try to dissolve the self, if it's not strong enough for that to happen, it can lead to a great pain, a great discomfort, a, a great depression even that arises in people. It's like there's a, a turmoil when you enter that stage. Whereas if someone is very comfortable at ease with the self, then it tends to kind of fade to the background much more easily. So, just some thoughts really. Didn't want to come across as, as damning or anything like that. And, and uh, like I said, I think people need different things from the arts, but I kind of separate those people that want health and I separate those people that want um, therapy of some sort to feel better, which there's nothing wrong with either of those things. And then I, that third category is someone that really wants to delve as deep as they possibly can and kind of merge their life with these arts and become a cultivator. And it's that third group that I'm really speaking to because only in my opinion, as uh, uneducated as it may be, that, that I think that third group are the ones that are going to get held back by these kind of um, ideas. If you, you go around talking uh, intellectually about things that you don't know experientially in the way that I have realized that I am one with Tao and I am this, that and the other then I think that that's, that is a problem, that is a blocker. You are going to get stuck. Those ideas are going to have to dissolve um, at some stage. I think you need to get a bit more grounded. So, thanks for listening to me ramble. Uh, it's just some talks at the end, of my, the end of my evening practice session. So, thank you.